This is Chapter Twenty Five of The American Claimant by Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The American Claimant by Mark Twain, Chapter Twenty Five. Hawkins went straight to the telegraph office and disburdened his conscience. He said to himself, "She's not going to give this galvanized cadaver up. That's plain. Wild horses can't pull her away from him. I've done my share. It's for sellers to take an innings now." So he sent this message to New York: "Come back. Hire special train. She's going to marry the materializee." Meantime, a note came to Rossmore Towers to say that the Earl of Rossmore had just arrived from England and would do himself the pleasure of calling in the evening. Sally said to herself, "It is a pity he didn't stop in New York, but it's no matter. He can go up tomorrow and see my father." He has come over here to tomahawk Papa very likely, or buy out his claim. This thing would have excited me a while back, but it has only one interest for me now, and only one value. I can say to, to, spine, spiny, spinal. I don't like any form of that name. I can say to him tomorrow, don't try to keep it up any more. Or I shall have to tell you whom I have been talking with last night, and then you will be embarrassed. Tracy couldn't know he was to be invited for the morrow, or he might have waited. As it was, he was too miserable to wait any longer. For his last hope, a letter had failed him. It was fully due today. It had not come. Had his father really flung him away? It looked so. It was not like his father, but it surely looked so. His father was a rather tough nut, in truth, but had never been so with his son. Still, this implacable silence had a calamitous look. Anyway, Tracy would go to the towers, and then what? He didn't know. His head was tired out with thinking. He wouldn't think about what he must do or say. Let it all take care of itself. So that he saw Sally once more, he would be satisfied. Happen what might, he wouldn't care. He hardly knew how he got to the towers or when. He knew and cared for only one thing. He was alone with Sally. She was kind. She was gentle. There was moisture in her eyes and a yearning something in her face and manner which she could not wholly hide. But she kept her distance. They talked. By and by, she said, watching his downcast countenance out of the corner of her eye, "It's so lonesome with Papa and Mamma gone." I try to read, but I can't seem to get interested in any book. I try the newspapers, but they do put such rubbish in them. You take up a paper and start to read something you think's interesting, and it goes on and on and on about how somebody—well, Doctor Snodgrass, for instance—not a movement from Tracy, not the quiver of a muscle. Sally was amazed. What command of himself he must have! Being disconcerted, she paused so long that Tracy presently looked up wearily and said, "Well, oh, I thought you were not listening. Yes, it goes on and on about this Doctor Snodgrass till you are so tired, and then about his younger son, the favorite son, Zylobalsamum Snodgrass." Not a sign from Tracy, whose head was drooping again. What supernatural self-possession! Sally fixed her eye on him and began again, resolved to blast him out of his serenity this time if she knew how to apply the dynamite that is concealed in certain forms of words when those words are properly loaded with unexpected meanings. And next it goes on and on and on about the eldest son, not the favorite, this one, 
and how he is neglected in his poor barren boyhood and allowed to grow up unschooled ignorant coarse vulgar the comrade of the community's scum and become in his completed manhood a rude profane dissipated ruffian that head still drooped sally rose moved softly and solemnly a step or two and stood before tracy his head came slowly up his meek eyes met her intense ones then she finished with deep impressiveness named spinal meningitis snodgrass tracy merely exhibited signs of increased fatigue the girl was outraged by this iron indifference and callousness and cried out what are you made of i why haven't you any sensitiveness don't these things touch any poor remnant of delicate feeling in you N n no he said wonderingly they don't seem to why should they oh dear me how can you look so innocent and foolish and good and empty and gentle and all that right in the hearing of such things as those look me in the eye straight in the eye there now then answer me without a flinch isn't dr snodgrass your father and isn't silo balsamum your brother here hawkins was about to enter the room but changed his mind upon hearing these words and elected for a walk downtown and so glided swiftly away and isn't your name spinal meningitis and isn't your father a doctor and an idiot like all the family for generations and doesn't he name all his children after poisons and pestilences and abnormal anatomical eccentricities of the human body answer me some way or somehow and quick why do you sit there looking like an envelope without any address on it and see me going mad before your face with suspense oh i wish i could do do i wish i could do something anything that would give you peace again and make you happy but i know of nothing i know of no way i have never heard of these awful people before what say it again i have never never in my life till now oh you do look so honest when you say that it must be true surely you couldn't look that way you you wouldn't look that way if it were not true would you i couldn't and wouldn't it is true oh let us end this suffering take me back into your heart and confidence wait one more thing tell me you told that falsehood out of mere vanity and are sorry for it that you're not expecting to ever wear the coronet of an earl truly i am cured cured this very day i am not expecting it oh now you are mine i've got you back in the beauty and glory of your unsmirched poverty and your honorable obscurity and nobody shall ever take you from me again but the grave and if the earl of rossmore from england my father the young man released the girl and hung his head the old gentleman stood surveying the couple the one with a strongly complimentary right eye the other with a mixed expression done with the left this is difficult and not often resorted to presently his face relaxed into a kind of constructive gentleness and he said to his son don't you think you could embrace me too the young man did it with alacrity then you are the son of an earl after all said sally reproachfully yes i then i won't have you oh but you know no i will not 
you've told me another fib. She's right. Go away and leave us. I want to talk with her. Barclay was obliged to go, but he did not go far. He remained on the premises. At midnight the conference between the old gentleman and the young girl was still going blithely on, but it presently drew to a close, and the former said, "'I came all the way over here to inspect you, my dear, with the general idea of breaking off this match, if there were two fools of you, but as there's only one, you can have him if you'll take him.' "'Indeed I will, then. May I kiss you?' "'You may. Thank you.' now you shall have that privilege whenever you are good meantime hawkins had long ago returned and slipped up into the laboratory he was rather disconcerted to find his late invention snodgrass there the news was told him that the english rossmore was come and i'm his son viscount barclay not howard tracy any more hawkins was aghast he said good gracious then you're dead dead yes you are we've, we've got your ashes hang those ashes i'm tired of them i'll give them to my father slowly and painfully the statesman worked the truth into his head that this was really a flesh-and-blood young man and not the insubstantial resurrection he and sellers had so long supposed him to be then he said with feeling i'm so glad so glad on sally's account poor thing we took you for a departed materialized bank thief from tahlequah this will be a heavy blow to Sellers. Then he explained the whole matter to Barclay, who said, Well, the claimant must manage to stand the blow, severe as it is, but he'll get over the disappointment. Who, the Colonel? He'll get over it the minute he invents a new miracle to take its place, and he's already at it by this time. But look here, what do you suppose became of the man you've been representing all this time? I don't know. I saved his clothes. It was all I could do. I'm afraid he lost his life. Well, you must have found twenty or thirty thousand dollars in those clothes, in money or certificates of deposit. No, I found only five hundred and a trifle. I borrowed the trifle and banked the five hundred. What'll we do about it? Return it to the owner. It's easy said, but not easy to manage. Let's leave it alone till we get seller's advice. And that reminds me, I've got to run and meet Sellers and explain who you are not and who you are, or he'll come thundering in here to stop his daughter from marrying a phantom. But uh, suppose your father came over here to break off the match. Well, isn't he downstairs getting acquainted with Sally? That's all safe. So Hawkins departed to meet and prepare the Sellerses. Rossmore Towers saw great times and late hours during the succeeding week. The two earls were such opposites in nature that they fraternized at once. Sellers said privately that Rossmore was the most extraordinary character he had ever met, a man just made out of the condensed milk of human kindness, yet with the ability to totally hide the fact from any but the most practiced character reader, a man whose whole being was sweetness, patience, and charity yet with a cunning so profound, an ability so marvelous in the acting of a double part, that many a person of considerable intelligence might live with him for centuries and never suspect the presence in him of these characteristics. Finally there was a quiet wedding at the Towers, instead of a big one at the British Embassy, with the militia and the fire brigades and the temperance organizations on hand in torchlight procession, as at first proposed by one of the earls. The art firm and Barrow were present at the wedding, and the tinner and puss had been invited, 
but the tinner was ill and puss was nursing him for they were engaged the sellerses were to go to england with their new allies for a brief visit but when it was time to take the train from washington the colonel was missing hawkins was going as far as new york with the party and said he would explain the matter on the road the explanation was in a letter left by the colonel in hawkins hands in it he promised to join mrs sellers later in england and then went on to say the truth is my dear hawkins a mighty idea has been born to me within the hour and i must not even stop to say good-bye to my dear ones a man's highest duty takes precedence of all minor ones and must be attended to with his best promptness and energy at whatsoever cost to his affections or his convenience and first of all a man's duties is his duty to his own honor he must keep that spotless mine is threatened when i was feeling sure of my imminent future solidity i forwarded to the czar of russia perhaps prematurely an offer for the purchase of siberia naming a vast sum since then an episode has warned me that the method by which i was expecting to acquire this money materialization upon a scale of limitless magnitude is marred by a taint of temporary uncertainty his imperial majesty may accept my offer at any moment if this should occur now i should find myself painfully embarrassed in fact financially inadequate i could not take siberia this would become known and my credit would suffer recently my private hours have been dark indeed but the sun shines again now i see my way i shall be able to meet my obligation and without having to ask an extension of the stipulated time i think this grand new idea of mine the sublimest i have ever conceived will save me whole i am sure i am leaving for san francisco this moment to test it by the help of the great lick telescope like all of my more notable discoveries and inventions it is based upon hard practical scientific laws all other bases are unsound and hence untrustworthy in brief then i have conceived the stupendous idea of reorganizing the climates of the earth according to the desire of the populations interested that is to say i will furnish climates to order for cash or negotiable paper taking the old climates in part payment of course at a fair discount where they are in condition to be repaired at small cost and let out for hire to poor and remote communities not able to afford a good climate and not caring for an expensive one for mere display my studies have convinced me that the regulation of climates and the breeding of new varieties at will from the old stock is a feasible thing indeed i am convinced that it has been done before done in prehistoric times by now forgotten and unrecorded civilizations everywhere i find hoary evidences of artificial manipulation of climates in bygone times take the glacial period was that produced by accident not at all it was done for money i have a thousand proofs of it and will some day reveal them i will confide to you an outline of my idea it is to utilize the spots on the sun get control of them you understand and apply the stupendous energies which they wield to beneficent purposes in the reorganization of our climates at present they merely make trouble and do harm in the evoking of cyclones and other kinds of electric storms but once under humane and intelligent control this will cease 
and they will become a boon to man. I have my plan all mapped out, whereby I hope and expect to acquire complete and perfect control of the sunspots, also details of the method whereby I shall employ the same commercially. But I will not venture to go into particulars before the patents shall have been issued. I shall hope and expect to sell shop rights to the minor countries at a reasonable figure, and supply a good business article of climate to the great empires at special rate, together with fancy brands for coronations, battles, and other great and particular occasions. There are billions of money in this enterprise. No expensive plant is required, and I shall begin to realize in a few days, in a few weeks at furthest. I shall stand ready to pay cash for Siberia the moment it is delivered, and thus save my honor and my credit. I am confident of this. I would like you to provide a proper outfit and start north as soon as I telegraph you, be it night or be it day. I wish you to take up all the country stretching away from the North Pole on all sides for many degrees south and buy Greenland and Iceland at the best figure you can get now while they are cheap. It is my intention to move one of the tropics up there and transfer the frigid zone to the equator. I will have the entire Arctic Circle in the market as a summer resort next year, and will use the surplusage of the old climate, over and above what can be utilized on the equator, to reduce the temperature of opposition resorts but I have said enough to give you an idea of the prodigious nature of my scheme and the feasible and enormously profitable character of it. I shall join all you happy people in England as soon as I shall have sold out some of my principal climates and arranged with the Tsar about Siberia. Meantime, watch for a sign from me. Eight days from now we shall be wide asunder, for I shall be on the border of the Pacific and you far out on the Atlantic, approaching England. That day, if I am alive, and my sublime discovery is proved and established, I will send you greeting, and my messenger shall deliver it where you are, in the solitudes of the sea, for I will waft a vast sun-spot across the disk, like drifting smoke, and you will know it for my love-sign, and will say, Mulberry Sellers throws us a kiss across the universe. End of chapter 25